Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This season of Strong Opinions Loosely Held is brought to you by Lean Cuisine. I've got a lot of opinions, and here's one. Sesame is everything especially the sesame chicken from Lean Cuisine's Marketplace line, which is made with the kind of ingredients that I like to keep in my own kitchen. Natural chicken, no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. Visit leancuisine.com backslash refinery29 for a coupon code. And feed your phenomenal with Lean Cuisine. From Refinery29, this is Strong Opinions Loosely Held. I'm Elisa Kreisinger, and welcome to one of my most favorite episodes of the season. Can you sell female friendships after you've put women down? Through the course of her career, Taylor Swift has gone from country music star and he says, Our song is a slam door, alley, to pop star. from putting women down to embracing them. She's known as an outsider. But Swift is very much an insider. Swift grew up on a Pennsylvania Christmas tree farm. Her mom is an executive, and her dad is a stockbroker for Merrill Lynch. He's the descendant of three generations of bank presidents. And according to The New Yorker, Swift wanted to be a financial advisor herself until she was inspired by crossover artists from the 90s like Faith Hill, Shania Twain, and the Dixie Chicks. Swift's evolution has been on the minds of many feminists because her feminism seems performative. That I do believe as a feminist is that in order for us to have gender equality, we have to stop making it a girl fight, and we we have to stop being so interested in seeing girls try to tear each other down. It has to be more about cheering each other on as women, and that's just kind of how I feel about it. The rise of the squad cemented Taylor Swift's feminism as a white, straight, rich, skinny girl feminism. And that's probably why no celebrity represents a general distrust in well-intentioned white women more than Taylor Swift. It's as if she embraces feminism as this kind of trend thing that you can put on and take off whenever you want. And so I think it's awesome how she has embraced feminism in these different ways. But then to watch her embrace it halfway when it suits her or benefits her and then seemingly forget it in other times is very frustrating. That's Bridget Todd. 
I am Bridget Todd. I am the co-host of the podcast Stuff Mom Never Told You on the How Stuff Works Network. And I'm also a digital political strategist living here in Washington, D.C. Bridget posted an update asking her followers who their most problematic fave was. More than 100 people responded. And not surprisingly, Taylor Swift ranked high. Taylor Swift is almost everyone's problematic fave. On that thread, so many people were highlighting Taylor Swift that they love her music, they love her vibe, but they get that she's a little problematic. And so I definitely think she's a high contender for like number one problematic fave of all time. Being a feminist is not always easy. It's not always convenient. It's not always popular. It's not always chic or on trend. And I can't help but look at Taylor and feel like she only wants it when it is those things, when it's chic and popular and easy, when it just means getting up on stage with Lena Dunham and your squad and all of that, but maybe doesn't want it when it means making a a tough choice or voicing an unpopular opinion. What instance for you was kind of the breaking point in that where you saw it as performative feminism versus real activism? Her semi-mini feud with Nicki Minaj after the MTV Awards where Nikki was, in my view, really just expressing this genuine frustration with the industry. And so Nikki had tweeted how if you were a white musician that had a slim body, that you would get nominated for an award pretty easily, but that other women, women of color, women who aren't slim, white girls, don't have it so easy. And she never mentioned Taylor Swift. And Taylor Swift took it so hyper-personally. That moment really mirrored for me a lot of experiences I've had where I feel like I'm calling out a system or a larger oppressive uh, system at play, and it gets twisted into being an attack on this one person. And I don't think Nikki was attacking Taylor at all, but Taylor clearly took it very personally, and this really made it all about herself in a way that I thought was just really embarrassing. Is it surprising that she had that response based on where we are right now as a country? I can't help but look at Taylor Swift and see all of those things at play. And part of me thinks maybe it's not fair to put so much on this one person. But I think you hit the nail on the head. Feminism isn't useful if it's just for thin, white, conventionally attractive, able-bodied, wealthy women. There's nothing wrong with being any of those things at all. But I just don't see Taylor grappling with the intersections at play with what she does. I think that she, in that Nicki Minaj moment, just felt... Feminism means everyone being nice to me all the time. And if someone's not being nice to me, that means they're, quote, not supporting other women. And that means it's not feminist and I have to call it out. And I just really don't see Taylor Swift grappling with those heavy, tricky intersections of race and and culture and class and all of that. It just seems very me, me, me focused instead of thinking inward about where these blind spots may be coming into play. We've talked about this a lot on this podcast, but it's worth repeating that in order for a celebrity to stay relevant, they must be able to help us, the people who put the pop in popular culture, make sense of the world, ourselves, and our identities. A celebrity should help us reconcile the contradictions of the culture and time that we live in. That's how they stay relevant. We have a responsibility if we're going to be selling albums and selling ourselves using this feminist branding to try to get it right. And I see a lot of times people trying to help Taylor Swift get it right. And rather than say or react in a way that seems to be 
open to this or, or mulling it over or wrestling with it, she really does fall back on this. You're being mean to me. Women should support other women. I'm a woman. You're a woman. Don't call me out for X, Y, Z because that's not feminist. And I don't think that's what feminism is. Feminism is not just be nice to Taylor Swift. Feminism is something something else. I think as feminists and as media consumers, I think it's important to be critical of all the media that we're consuming, whether it's Beyonce, whether it's Taylor Swift, whoever it is. I think it's important to ask these questions. Again, no one is forcing Taylor Swift to embody this sort of hashtag girl power feminist brand to market herself. She could absolutely say, I'm not a feminist. I have, I have nothing to do with, with feminism as an ideal. I'm just a pop star. And then I don't feel like anyone would be pointing fingers at her and expecting her to embody the specific set of feminist ideals. But because she does rely on this sort of feminist marketing to push her brand, I think it's also fair to ask, how is she doing that? Is she doing it in an authentic way? Is she doing it in a way that can be a model for others, considering she is such a role model for so many people? Is she modeling how you can get better? It wasn't even that long ago that she balked at the idea of being considered a feminist at all. So are you modeling how we get better, how we get sharper, how we get more intersectional and more inclusive as feminists? Or are you just wearing a T-shirt that says the the future is female and that's it? Do you think we'd be holding men to the same standard if they were forced to come out as feminists to maintain their relevancy? I look at people like Matt Magori. When I think of flashy male feminists, he really comes to mind. And I do think people were quick to hold him accountable and be critical of the way that he was showing up in these various spaces. But I also think in general, women take more heat than men just in general. So if you're a woman a woman or a woman-identified person, your blunders will be louder and amplified and people will be so much more happy to pile on and, and you know, point out the ways that you're getting it wrong than if you were not. So really, the the anger around Swift comes around her ability to use feminism as a marketing tool, but yet not really be feminist in her actions. I think that's what it is for me. When Demi Lovato made that great point where she said, some people out there that are loudly, boldly calling themselves feminists, where were they for Kesha, who is going through this awful, awful experience with Dr. Luke? It was those kinds of accountability that actually got Taylor Swift to do something. And she actually ended up donating money to, to Kesha's cause. In 2014, Kesha sued her producer, Dr. Luke. She wanted to get out of her contract with him because she claimed that he had, quote, sexually, physically, verbally, and emotionally abused her to the point where she nearly lost her life. Dr. Luke countersued. Kesha was ultimately forced to continue her work with Dr. Luke after a New York judge denied her injection to cut her professional relationship with him. Swift showed her support by donating $250,000 to Kesha to help with her legal fees. She made her donation known via public statement. Soon after, Debbie Lovato tweeted, quote, Not everyone has two hundred and fifty dollars to just give to people. Would love to, but I didn't grow up with money, and deaf haven't made as much as her. At least I speak up about shit that's uncomfortable to talk about, rather than just trying to be politically correct 24-7. It's viewed as one of the first times Swift was called out for her performative feminism. 
people associate squad and hashtag squad goals with Taylor Swift, but the idea of a squad has been pretty popular in the hip-hop community for a while, way before Taylor Swift. So it's a new thing with her. People are acting like it's a new thing that she invented, but it's been a concept for a long time. So Taylor Swift actually appropriated the term and the ideology of squad from hip-hop culture? I would say yes. In my opinion, yes. Because if you listen to things like Gucci Mane or Waka Flocka, they have been yelling out, squad, brick squad, and albums forever. That's been a thing for a long time. And it wasn't until Taylor Swift sort of made squad goals a thing and made it into a hashtag and it turned into Lena Dunham and Taylor Swift and eight other kind of famous people posing for photographs on Instagram on a yacht. That's when it sort of became this thing that took on a a world of its own. But yeah, it's definitely been around for a long time. And it's interesting that now we so heavily associate it with Swift when it's been kicking around as a, as a concept for a while. It kind of adds to her whiteness that she's stolen a concept from Black culture, used it as a way to privet her brand, and is now a new woke celebrity. It's interesting. First of all, I just think there's too many people in this squad, right? The squad is huge. If Taylor and the squad were all going to go out, they would need multiple like Uber pools to get wherever they were going. It's a huge squad. I also just think, I don't know that that is modeling what female relationships need to look like. I think for me, when I see see a gaggle of famous women all tanning together on a yacht in an Instagram picture, I think a lot of people would see that and say, a lot of young people might see that and say, this is what sisterhood looks like. This is what female empowerment looks like. And I look at that and that's not what I see at all. I see a sort of misreading of, of what empowerment can look like. And, it, and also it just seems to sort of fly against this thing that Taylor herself says so much, which is, oh, women should support other women. But then the whole idea of a squad sort of seems not inclusive to me. The whole point of a squad is that if you're in the squad, you're in. If you're not in the squad, you're out. And I don't think that's what feminism is supposed to be about. Mm, So the idea of the squad in itself inherently not feminist because you're excluding people. Exactly. And then to take it back to the Nicki Minaj thing for a minute... One of the things that she that Taylor tweeted that I thought was so horribly cringy and embarrassing was when Nikki tweeted about the VMAs. Taylor was like, oh, if I win the award, come up with me, come up on stage with me. And it was as if she thought that Nikki was clamoring to be in her squad, as opposed to speaking honestly about systematic the systematic oppression of Black artists in the music industry. I thought was so kind of embarrassing and tone deaf of Taylor to not see that, to think it was about Nikki wanting to be part of her squad and not something bigger than her and her squad. Are we shocked that Taylor Swift isn't woke because she comes from a family of wealth? She's white and very much upper middle class. Her parents were both executives. Are we shocked that she is not the picture of feminism and wokeness because of her background? Yeah, it's probably not very shocking when you put it that way. I'm not saying that you can't be white and wealthy and still be come at things with a very thoughtful lens. I I know plenty of people who do. But I also think that what you just said about Taylor's reality is very important to who she is authentically because she is someone who loves to play up this underdog victim persona. And she's an underdog. Her parents are very wealthy, right? Her parents are executives. She wasn't a victim. She had a record deal when she was very young. She Didn't she grow up on a literal Christmas tree farm? <laughs> I don't believe this idea that she's this, woe is me, I have it so hard, I'm the underdog, I've never been able to win, and kind of vibe. 
Kanye West and Kim Kardashian have their own feud with Taylor about whether or not Kanye asked Taylor's permission for the line, I think me and Taylor might still have sex, I made that bitch famous. Kim says that Taylor not only approved the lyrics in the song Famous, but she promised to back them up at the Grammys. Kim also said there is video out there to prove that Taylor is lying because Kanye records everything while he's making albums. She legitimately, quote, says, as soon as I get on that Grammy red carpet, I'm gonna tell all the press. Like, I was in on it. And then she just didn't like the reaction. Her whole idea of innocent until proven victim, especially with Kanye, it makes me think she is such the epitome of white, non-intersectional, strategic feminism. I think that that part of her persona that I think kind of gets lost in translation a little bit, that she had this very wealthy, privileged upbringing, I think it is important to who she is and her development, both as a feminist and as an artist. After the incident with Kanye West, culture critic Damon Young said, quote, I believe she's exposed herself as one of the most dangerous types of white women. What Taylor did was use the inherent empathy and benefit of the doubt her white womanhood allows her to possess to throw a black person under the bus if necessary and convenient. People have to feel you're authentic. And if you show up in a way that can seem so manufactured, so polished, so perfect, so over like overmanaged, I think it, it, it becomes obvious after a while. And I think that Probably one of the most important things that 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 Kim Kardashian Snapchat story about the Kanye West song really illustrated was how managed and and over kind of overproduced Taylor Swift is, and her whole image is sort of carefully curated. You know, she's a kind of kind of woman who knows exactly how many likes a specific Instagram post of hers got. Who does that? That's what we're sort of seeing now. This idea that we've kind of looked behind the curtain and said, okay. She is someone who is just thinking about her image all the time and is not showing up in this authentic way where you get to see her grappling with things or getting it wrong, having to apologize or whatever. And those are not the kind of celebrities that I think have that lasting relevance. The the celebrities that stick around who have been around for a long time are the ones that you feel like are showing up in an authentic way and really standing for something other than just a brand with nothing really behind it. Should we knock her for caring about her brand and her image when that is her job? I don't think we should knock her for caring about her brand and her image. But I also think when you can, when you look at somebody like Beyonce, Beyonce has always been criticized for being carefully strategic about her image and her name and her brand. That's something that people used to always ding her for. But I think what separates someone like Beyonce from someone like Taylor Swift is that Beyonce stands for something, right? Like you look at Beyonce's career and you and I could point to five different causes or things that weren't necessarily easy to sign on to. I'm not talking about just giving money to safe charities that everybody sort of already is in favor of. I'm talking about taking a stand that is not convenient or that won't necessarily get you anything. I see Beyonce doing that. And I don't I don't see Taylor Swift doing that in that way even down to the point of not even endorsing a candidate in the last 2016 election. Not that she necessarily has to, but I thought that was a really glaring example of her inability to say, I am for this. You can't just vaguely be for all things that are positive and happy and sunshine in the world. And I think that's what she's sort of trying to do. Beyonce, on the other hand, has advocated for 
causes. She's made noise around things like police brutality. And I think, you know, for a while you saw people saying things like, oh, boycott Beyonce because she's anti-police, things like that. Mm -hmm. That she took a a stand against something that wasn't probably very easy for her to do. Mm -hmm. And I think with Taylor Swift, do that. And I think that those are the things that make a celebrity, even if they're carefully polished and managed and blah, 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 those are the things that make a celebrity, in my mind, seem really authentic. Totally. And make them actually relevant in the culture. Exactly. To your point about Swift not being able to take on causes that weren't convenient, you would think that the election, the 2016 election, would be a perfect opportunity for her to kind of come out and put her money, her values, where her brand is, so to speak. But you're right. She didn't even come out in support of a candidate. Do you think that that was strategic to keep her conservative audience from her country days? Or do you think that she just didn't vote and isn't into doing her civic duty? Well, it's exactly what you said. I think it's her country roots kind of showing their showing a little bit. I don't think that if she came out and said, I'm not voting for Donald Trump, even if she didn't say I'm voting for Hillary Clinton, I don't think if she said, I don't think it's cool that Donald Trump talked about sexually assaulting women, or I don't think it's cool that Donald Trump made fun of a disabled reporter. I think that even those relatively, at least in my mind, safe positions, I don't think that she could do that because that would be that would that would sort of trigger this sort of culture war that I think her her brand is sort of rooted in, where she had these kind of country white girl Nashville roots. And some of those people are probably still hanging on. And if she comes out and says that, that would probably alienate those people. I remember that she had an Instagram post of her voting with her I voted sticker. So I think that she probably did vote or at least appears to have voted via Instagram. I think that she probably was not able to be you know, a vocal advocate in the election because of her her base and her roots. Yeah, it's so interesting because you say country roots, but really she's from Pennsylvania. Um, and so she... <laughs> See, she, I've, I've even bought into it. Right, right. So she her, her family moved her to Nashville. She goes to Nashville. She's adopted this kind of country brand for herself, and that's the way that she gets into the industry. She becomes pop and has to adopt something more rooted in popular culture, which just happens to be feminism. And it's so ironic that now she's caught... In the very same cultural zeitgeist. Taylor Swift is so strategic that feminism is having a moment right now. You can buy feminist t-shirts in H&M. It's a thing. Even though it's it's sort of, you know, enmeshed in this sort of hyper-capitalist thing at this point. But it's having a, a branding moment. I think if we get to a point where feminism is no longer cool, Taylor Swift will completely abandon it because she's that strategic. What do you think her next thing will be? Oh, I don't know. I think it just totally depends on what's popular. So if it's Barbershop quartets, that's going to be her thing. There is no subculture too removed for her to jump on if it's cool. So whatever it is, it can be something completely random. I think Taylor Swift will rebrand herself to be the queen of whatever the new thing is. Today, no star represents the resentment towards white women better than Taylor Swift. And she's not helping us reconcile that. Her well-intentioned feminism was never intersectional. Her image is rooted in white innocence, and she strategically avoids any conversation about privilege that might make her relevant post-election. Lena Dunham and Katy Perry very publicly supported and campaigned for Hillary Clinton. But to add insult to injury, we don't even know who Taylor Swift voted for. What she represented was very much this surface-level feminism, this I have friends that are girls, that means I'm a feminist. 
which is the most vacuous form of feminism I can possibly imagine. It's not feminism. That's Anne Helen Peterson. I'm Anne Helen Peterson, and I am a features writer for BuzzFeed News. And my new book, Too Fat, Too Slutty, Too Loud, The Rise and Reign of the Unruly Woman, is coming out this month. The Instagram is so visual. And so she could control her own narrative with more facility than she could do before. And did so in a way that I have not really ever seen in terms of curating which other female celebrities would appear in her Instagrams. And those other female celebrities became testament to, oh, look, I have like this friend who's like an indie pop star. So like, I'm indie. Yeah. But then I have like this friend who's like a CW star and these friends who are models. So I'm glamorous and I'm affixing myself to that, that glamour. She's doing the Victoria's Secret runway stuff. And so I think it was around then that people first started to really push back against what she was selling. You know, like she resisted the word feminist for so long, which in some ways she mirrors the resistance of mainstream culture even to, to feminism. It's hard for us to remember because now every single celebrity gets asked in every interview, are you a feminist, as kind of this, yeah. you know, barometer of who you are as a female celebrity today. But even 10 years ago, it was not something that would be, it would be radical to publicly embrace it. So she <laughs> resisted the label for a long time, got some initial backlash for that, and then eventually kind of came around to the idea that like, I guess I am a feminist. But at the same time, now that we have female celebrities who say I am a feminist, it's not enough to just say that. There is an interrogation what do you mean by I am a feminist? What do you actually do in your life? How do you interrogate your own privilege as a white feminist? And I think that she also probably considers squads as as feminism. And yes, sisterhood is powerful. <laughs> I'm not criticizing that understanding. But at the same time, it needs to go further than that these mm -hmm. days, especially when your sisterhood seems performed to kind of create a certain image of who you are and what you represent. Performative feminism mm -hmm. in general as used by celebrities. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's very empty. I think it's frustrating. I think that it's particularly frustrating for people who have been feminists for a long time. And you're like, oh, now you think now that you think it's cool to say I'm a feminist, you're going to take it when before you would never say that word. And obviously women can grow and change and Lots of women who grew up non-feminist can embrace feminism. So if celebrities are our standards by which we think of, okay, what does it mean to be a woman in the world, an older woman in the world, a younger woman, a queer woman, all of these different things. If you look at a woman who says, I am a feminist, and that feminism is just a word that you say and it's not a thing that you do, then that is a model that I think is dangerous and sad and that we need to do more education. It's great that feminism is longer the F word, but how can we continue to texture and expand the understanding for people who are growing up with these models? Like, here's what feminism looks like in action. How does Taylor Swift use her victimness to get ahead? And is that another stereotypical white girl trait? 
white femininity has long been associated with victimhood and passivity. Because if you're a victim, that means you need to be saved or that Mm -hmm. you should be pitied. And there is a solid argument. There's this big, very successful piece on BuzzFeed about tracing the way that Taylor Swift has wielded the idea of her own victimhood. She has complained about how the dominant discourse of her celebrity narrative is about who she's dating. At the same time, she has exploited publicity over who she's dating and written about who she's dated and broken up with to great success in her songs. People really love to read about that sort of intrigue, those sorts of, oh, well, I wonder who this person is, this song is about. I right. wonder, like, what she's writing about right now. She gets that. Yeah. But then she also complains about it and makes herself the victim of the press. Does that make sense? Totally. She uses the same system she exploits to be a victim of it. Yeah, that's really well put. Do you think she used performative feminism to get ahead? I think she understands which way the wind blows. And she knew that she needed to get on board with some aspect of feminism or whatever watered-down form of it it was. But at the same time, she has a massive conservative listenership. She still has a ton of listeners that are holdovers from country music. And she's mindful as a capitalist (laughs) and, you know, as a celebrity of not offending those listeners. You know, it's funny. I did this interview with Scarlett Johansson a a couple of weeks ago about political activism because she's become very politically outspoken. And I said, like, you know, there's this criticism that celebrities shouldn't talk about politics. And she said, if you don't have anything to say, then you don't need to say something. But right now, there is this tendency, I think, to almost that not saying something is saying something. Taylor Swift's reticence to say something says something. You could argue that that's unfair because if she she doesn't think of herself as a political person, she doesn't have strongly – she thinks that her political views are private. But there's so little about her life. You know, she's sold all these other parts of her life that others would consider private. So that's a more difficult argument to believe. I also think that that argument of, like, I'm not a political person doesn't work today. So, like, when people say to me, oh, I don't really keep up with politics, I'm like, well, that's – you must have the privilege to not keep up with politics. Because here's the thing about this administration. It's not for equality of women. There are specific things about the way that Trump behaved, but also about the policies that are being enacted, especially concerning the legislation of women's bodies, that – If you are a feminist and a public feminist, as Taylor Swift professed to be, you should speak out against. Since February, Swift has only had one public appearance. She hasn't been seen or photographed in public, and she's only posted on Instagram three times in the last six months. Her strategy for navigating through the patriarchy no longer works. And perhaps that's why she's been more or less in hiding since the end of 2016. Since this episode was recorded, Taylor Swift has testified and won an important ruling in her sexual assault trial. Swift claims that she was groped during a meet and greet by a DJ during a pre-concert fan event on her Red Tour in 2013. She claims that the Colorado DJ reached under her skirt and grabbed her, quote, bare ass. The DJ was fired soon after the event. 
but he sued Swift two years later for $3 million in damages for defamation of character. He claims that the allegations were false and cost him his job. Swift has countersued for $1, accusing the DJ of sexual assault and battery. In his opening statement, Swift's attorney said that the suit isn't about bankrupting the DJ. It's about proving a point. Quote, she's just trying to tell people out there that you can say no when someone puts their hands on you. Grabbing a woman's rear end is an assault, and it's always wrong. Any woman, rich, poor, famous or not, is entitled to have that not happen. When the DJ's attorney cross-examined Swift, she was prepared. Her answers were stern, direct, and to the point. When he asked Swift if she had any feelings about the DJ losing his job, Swift told the jury of six women and two men, quote, I'm not going to let you or your client make me feel in any way like this is my fault. Here we are years later, and I'm being blamed for the unfortunate events of his life that are the product of his decisions, not mine. Soon after, the internet was full of listicles documenting the 10 most powerful statements from her trial and what her trial means for women. Some think that every stupid question about sexual assault and victim blaming should be greeted with this level of retort, and others say it would be if they had Swift's privilege, power, and platform. Almost everyone agrees that Swift set a clear example that victim blaming is not okay. Survivors are never to be blamed for someone violating them, and when they come forward, they will be heard. Strategically, I can't help but think that it's an interesting time and position for Swift to take considering the pervasiveness of on-campus sexual assault. RAIN is the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization, and their research shows that more than 50% of college sexual assaults occur between August and November. And college-age victims of sexual assault rarely report it to law enforcement. A U.S. district judge tossed the DJ's defamation of character claim, ruling that he waited too long to file a lawsuit. And a jury will hear final arguments in Swift's countersuit this week. We'll be sure to update this episode with more details as they become available. But as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Does it change your opinion of Swift? Has the public nature of the case helped you have important conversations about sexual assault? Anne and Bridget both had strong opinions about Taylor Swift, and now I want to hear yours. Tweet me at PopCultPirate or tag me in your posts on Instagram using at PopCulturePirate. And I cannot wait to hear your opinions on this topic. I have a feeling you have a lot of them. We'll be back next week with another episode. But in the meantime, check out our video channel based on the podcast at Facebook.com slash Strong Opinions Loosely Held. And please subscribe to Strong Opinions Loosely Held wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced and edited by me, Elisa Kreisinger, with help from Sarah Bernard, Daniel Huerta, and Carrie Ann Thomas for Refinery29. Special thanks to our researcher, Kat Moldina, and we recorded with Paul Ruest. We'll see you back here next Monday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.